0: following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals even though that's pretty much the same thing these days but that's what we're here for somebody's got to keep these brats in line anyway you've been warned it's the right opinion These days our media's either incompetent or malevolent They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they heaven sent Knowing the truth this way harder than telling it We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant Be the elephant in the room, in a room full of elephants Be the elephant in the room, in a room full of elephants BOOM Welcome everybody to the right opinion, right here on the right opinion.podbean.com also available on iTunes Stitcher, Google Play and available on hackerhameen.podbean.com as well as now Rat Salad Review you can check out Rat Salad Review it's a heavy metal Rock and Roll Review website for the most part. They do podcasts. They do YouTube. They do, they're all over the place, ratsaladreview.com. And uh, be sure to subscribe to them as you'll be able to find this podcast there as is the situation with hackerhameen.podbean.com. It'll be on a couple of days delay, but that's where you can find it. So now we're on the rightopinion.podbean.com, on hackerhameen.podbean.com and rat salad Review. And as I mentioned in uh, the episode I entitled Trump's Benghazi in regards to the recent events in Baghdad involving the death of Qasem Soleimani. Uh, If you're interested in having this podcast on your platform, by all means, get in touch with me on Twitter at Right Opinion Pod or Instagram at Right Opinion Pod or email the Right Opinion Pod at gmail.com. And uh, just let me know that you want the content you're in all likelihood going to get it because I'd like to just spread this out to as many people as conceivably possible. And uh, if your platform can do that for me, awesome. And if it happens to need some content, I'm happy to provide it. But this is the monthly edition of... The Right Opinion podcast, right here again on therightopinion.podbean.com, as well as all those other avenues that I just provided to you. But if you want to know everything that basically I broke down all of the events, a little quick timeline of what happened in Baghdad or around the Baghdad uh, around the American embassy in Baghdad, and then uh, some of my comments about Trump's handling of all of it, uh, some possible really really nefarious connections between the New York Times and the Iranian government, as well as the uh, social media lashback to all of the events, including the lovely, lovely love letter written by one Rose McGowan to the Iranian government via Twitter, and then my response to all of that. So please, I implore you, check that out, therightopinion.podbean.com, or just search The Right Opinion, On iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all that good stuff, and hopefully that episode will have synced up and gotten over to those platforms. I know for a fact it's all good on iTunes because that's how I listened back to it, but uh, check that out. Meanwhile, before any of that stuff happened, I had a whole monthly show set up for you from all of the events of the last month, pretty much, of December of 2019, and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into it because I think I've plugged everything I need to plug at this point, so let's roll in. To We are Republicans. This was an op-ed written in the New York Times by four supposed Republicans by the name of George Conway, Steve Schmidt, John Weaver, and Rick Wilson. Now, being that you probably haven't heard of any of these men other than maybe George Conway, let me give you a little bit of a background on these supposed Republicans. John Weaver um, actively encouraged Trump to run for president back uh in 2015 according to politico so the same man that he was once begging to run for president he's now ripping on in this new york times article what exactly did he think trump was going to do when he became president other than exactly what he said he was going to do which is as i'll get to at the end of the show when i list off a lot of trump's accomplishments you know pretty pretty up and down the board there i mean there's not a whole lot of wiggle room Between what he said and what he's done, again, I'll get to that towards the end of the show. But this guy, again, bemoaning the fact that Donald Trump is president is laughable, being that four years ago or five years ago now, maybe, he was encouraging him to run for president. Again, not according to me, according to Politico. Then you got Steve Schmidt, who openly stated that he started uh, voting for Democrats in June of 2018. Strangely enough, a ticket that did not feature The name Trump on it. So why exactly would voting for AOC be the response of a disenfranchised Republican? There are other Republicans could have definitely voted for the Republicans that, you know, aren't Donald Trump. If in fact you actually share Republican values, but voting for Democrats no longer makes you a Republican. Anyway, wouldn't you just sit that election out? I mean, like, really, if you're really all that pissed off at the Republicans, rather than voting for the Democrats... If you still consider yourself a Republican, just don't go to the ballot box that day. (laughs) It's really not that difficult. Anyway, George Conway, um, obviously we all know this is the husband of Kelly Ann Conway, who uh, just so happens to be so dumb that I've often pondered if, in fact, he is a plant sent by his clearly more intelligent wife to stir the pot for the media. Anyway, uh, and then Rick Wilson, who is just a clown. I actually have an article in the show notes for you from The Daily Caller. And it just outlines really just one of the many anti-Trump rants that Rick Wilson has gone on on Twitter and uh, is a pretty good indicator overall of uh, the level of intellect that we're dealing with with Mr. Wilson. Now, look, like I like to use a little bit of profanity, but this guy is so triggered by Donald Trump. And, I mean, the rant that he goes on here, folks, even some of these words are words I don't feel comfortable saying. All right, that's not entirely true. But if I were somebody who would ever actually feel uncomfortable using words... I would be one of, you know, this would be one of those rants, but uh, give a look at it in the show notes. Rick Wilson is just such a, again, a clown. A guy is just so overwhelmingly emotional about everything that's going on here. He simply cannot, at this point, be unbiased or, uh, or for that matter, rational in any way about his dealings or thoughts on the president. But let's get into the actual article just a couple little things here from these these four clowns. This is not from the Daily Art, uh, Daily Caller article. This is from the New York Times op-ed written by these four Jabronis. In the article, they state, "We have been and remain broadly conservative or classically liberal in our politics and outlooks. Our many policy differences with national Democrats remain, but our shared fidelity to the Constitution dictates a common effort." R- really? Really? The Democrats are the champions of the Constitution now? You mean the folks who want to rip the Bill of Rights to shreds and make sure it's, of course, recycled via AOC's compost toilet? You mean the ones who are openly defending police state efforts that violated both the Fourth and Fifth Amendments of our president while calling for the destruction of the First and Second Amendments of the Constitution, obviously, with their perpetual attacks on free speech, on religion, on gun ownership, basically, anything having to do with freedom, the Democrats hate, and the Constitution happened to be an article written on the foundation of freedom. These are the folks that, these four, you know, jabronis that wrote this article claiming that they're Republicans, these are the folks that they want to jump in bed with instead of just getting along with the President of the United States, who ran as a conservative, largely has stuck to those conservative principles, has governed extraordinarily conservatively, and has not made nearly the attempts of dancing on the grave of the Constitution, uh, as, the, as the Democrats do on a seemingly daily basis. This is the party who doesn't even understand what the second uh, article, what the Article 2 of the Constitution states in regards to the powers of the president, as they're constantly calling them into question on almost a daily basis, again, on the media on social media, even in movies and television shows these days, and they just—they don't even know what the president's powers are, and yet they seem to think that Donald Trump is—is is stepping outside the bounds of those authorities that are provided to him by the Constitution. Again, almost every day it seems like they've come up with a new thing that they think President Trump has done that is outside the bounds of his duties and responsibilities, and they—they, uh, they, you know fall flat on their face every single time, including this impeachment situation, which they're not even willing to go all the way with. Henceforth, the Articles of Impeachment have still not been passed along to the Senate. These are the same people who have just voted to impeach a president, as I just mentioned, without meeting the standard of treason, high crimes, misdemeanors, bribery, none of those things. But these are the supposed guardians of the Constitution, furthermore. How exactly has Trump violated the Constitution? Surely, if he had, those would have been mentioned amongst the aforementioned articles of impeachment, no. As a matter of fact, Trump and his allies need to constantly remind Democrats, media members, and anti-Trumpers such as these that the Constitution actually says something completely different than what they think it actually says. And he's used the language of the Constitution to defend his administrative policies repeatedly. See the, quote, Muslim Band. Uh, The ability to conduct foreign policy as he wishes and his use of the courts to fight subpoenas in this ridiculous impeachment hearing, which, despite how it hurts Adam Schiff's feelings, is not only constitutional, but it is exactly how the Constitution dictates that these types of disputes are to be settled. Furthermore, getting back into their article here, the We Are Republicans article from The New York Times. These, uh, these four clowns, they state, and I quote, The American presidency transcends the in- individuals who occupy the Oval Office. Their personalities became part of our national character. Their actions became our actions, for which we all share responsibility. Their willingness to act in accordance with the law and our tradition dictates how current and future leaders will act. Their commitment to order, civility, and decency is reflected in American society. Mr. Trump fails to meet the bar for this commitment. He has neither the moral compass nor the temperament to serve, end quote. So according to these putzes, first they say that the presidency is bigger than the president. But then they say that the president is so important that he shapes our national character. Then they say that we're all responsible for his actions, to which I ask even those of us who didn't vote for him. I'm not taking any blame for anything Obama did. I voted for Romney and McCain, much to my chagrin now, but, uh, I mean, I guess Obama would have been in office regardless of how I voted in retrospect, so it doesn't really matter now, but I didn't vote for him, so I'm not taking any of the blame for anything that happened under his presidency. Then, after all of this mental gymnastics that they've attempted here, they talk about acting in accordance with the law, to which I say, okay, Trump has done that, despite all of their whining, to which I point again to the nonsensical articles of impeachment and all of the failed hoaxes and attempts at taking him out of office prior to that. Also, they say in this, uh, in this particular little paragraph that I read here, they talk about how our tradition is shaped by previous presidents, as was suggested in the second sentence there, which is, weirdly enough, in direct contradiction with the first sentence. But if that is the case, if our tradition is, is shaped by previous presidents, then doesn't it stand to reason that quote our tradition could be sliding in the wrong direction as a result of previous presidents, and that's why we elected Donald Trump to right the ship? I mean, if it, if it could if it could be happening now, if the president can somehow shift our tradition as as a single man, despite the fact that quote the presidency is bigger than the president, then it, again, couldn't it stand to reason that prior presidents had pointed us and our tradition? in the wrong direction, and that Donald Trump is now steering us back towards the right direction? Surely Donald Trump is not the first president to be able to shift our tradition in what they consider to be the wrong direction, but what is that actually, because they don't know anything, the right direction. Moving on, another point here, they say that their commitment to order, civility and decency, is reflected in American society. Actually, the president is a reflection of American society, not the other way around. Have you ever heard of an election? Moving on, one last thing I think I have on this is that uh, if, as they put it, he has neither the moral compass nor the temperament to serve, then how is it he's doing such a good job and such a better job than previous presidents, especially better than most recent presidents, while still stiff-arming an entire media apparatus looking to take him down at every turn, a police state targeting everyone he's ever sneezed in the general direction of, and a Democratic Party willing to stoop so low as to move forward with a sham, wholly partisan impeachment as a last-ditch effort to usurp a duly elected president? If if he doesn't have the moral comprom- compass and and temperament to serve, he seems to be doing a hell of a lot better considering vastly more difficult odds than any other president, certainly in my lifetime, which granted is not that long in the grand scheme of things. I think I've only really had about five or six presidents under my belt, but, um, you know, the guy seems to be doing just fine considering he, quote, has neither the moral compass nor temperament to serve. So, sure, I say unto these jimokes Yeah, you're Republicans. And like Republicans of old, you're a bunch of clueless, out-of-touch, spineless doormats that are now being walked over by a president who represents our party, represents our people, and for that matter, represents the philosophy of the Republican Party, but actually implements it because he's got the cojones to do it. Good job, guys. The headline of your article should have just been, Our wives' boyfriends told us to write a thousand words on Orange Man Bad. That probably would have been a better representation of your overall feelings and thoughts, illustrated in that very short article. It took four guys to write a thousand words. It's what we're dealing with here, anyway. So those are some, you know, old whiny Republicans who, like I said, have been nothing but doormats for decades, and then wondered why the American people and the Republican Party elected a, a guy like Donald Trump, who actually has done the things he said he was going to do, with with some exceptions. Uh, But here are some Republicans that are standing by our president, and for that, they must most definitely be torn apart by our media uh, because, you know, God forbid, uh, anybody should have a, a valid point when defending our president, the first of which I give unto you, hashtag Kremlin, Kevin. So recently on Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo on Fox News, Representative Kevin McCarthy made uh, the following statement comparing the most recently uncovered FBI spying ring into the Trump campaign with the Watergate scandal. It's really funny because when Trump was supposedly colluding with Russians and it stole an election and all that kind of stuff, Democrats and the media were very quick. To uh, compare it to Watergate. But now that we have an actual spy inside an actual campaign and all of this now out and open and on the record, uh, multiple spies for that matter, uh, suddenly the Watergate comparisons have just vanished. It's amazing. But uh, here is Representative Kevin McCarthy on Maria Bartiromo's show on Fox News talking about that comparison.
1: Well, if you pause for one moment and you read this IG report by Horowitz, here's the FBI They broke into President Trump at the time, candidate Trump's campaign, spied on him, and then they covered it up. It is a modern day Watergate. And you've got Democrats who aren't willing to even look into that. That is the area that we should be looking at. It's a modern day coup, the closest this country's ever came to. But the only way you can compare this to is Watergate. They broke into his campaign by bringing people into it. They have been trying to cover it up for the whole time. Now the question rises just like Watergate. Who knew, when did they know it, and how high did this go up?
0: And, of course, he is 100% correct in that assessment there and, frankly, is showing a little bit of moxie that has been otherwise missing from the Republican Party, including the four clowns that wrote that stupid article from New York Times. Uh, Take note here, quote, Republicans of we are Republicans' dumbassery. This is the beauty of Trump. Because before Trump, guys like The four clowns who wrote that article would much rather just be beaten over the head by isms and phobias until the baby-killing gun grabbers got their way because they're a bunch of spineless cowards. Unlike that, Trump is the polar opposite and has been fighting back and winning. So these guys live in a fantasy land where writing an anti-Trump op-ed in the New York Times is brave when it couldn't be more the opposite. There is no safer space for these snowflakes than New York Times op-ed sections for uh, for when they need to spew some anti-Trump garbage, it's a you know it's the journalistic equivalent of diving headfirst into your safe space and crawling into the fetal position. As a matter of fact, so anyway, McCarthy is definitely on to something here in that clip that you just heard from Maria Bartiromo's show on Fox News. Um, the media, obviously, as a result of Kevin McCarthy's uh, you know sound reasoning and and Trump supporting. He became public enemy number two because we all know who public enemy number one is in the media's mind. The next day after he made that statement on uh, Sunday Morning Futures, hashtag Kremlin Kevin is trending on Twitter because he apparently received $2,700 from uh, Lev Parnas, who is one of the two Russian-born Florida resident businessmen who were helping Rudy Giuliani investigate corruption in Ukraine. Those two men have been charged with campaign finance violations as well. Uh, The men are currently fighting those charges in court. Paparnas in particular vehemently denies the charges against him. Also, even according, uh, according to a Washington Post article, the indictment does not implicate any wrongdoing by Giuliani, Trump, or the Trump campaign, but he's Russian and he works with Rudy, so obviously that means that this is all right back into the collusion narrative. And for that, Kevin McCarthy is obviously a Russian bot. He, he might not even be a real person. He could be a robotoid. I heard about those recently. And uh, supposedly they come from Russia. And that would mean Kevin McCarthy must be one of them. Also, let's just take into account here that the donation made to McCarthy's campaign was $2,700. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he, that's probably not enough money to buy Kevin McCarthy. I mean, if so, I'm sure he would have been bought and paid for a long time ago, probably a bajillion times over. And uh, this, again, is just another one of these examples of the media coordinating with social media and with the big tech companies and with Hollywood and the music industry and virtually every form or facet of entertainment or information absorption that you deal with on your day-to-day basis. Um, It's just, you know, obviously an all-out attack on Kevin McCarthy because he had the temerity to say something rational in defense of Donald Trump. So then when you go, uh, as I as I happen to see this hashtag Kremlin Kevin thing going on Twitter, I go to Google. I go to the news section. I type in Kevin McCarthy. What's the first thing that pops up? It's a CNN article. It says, fact check. Inspector General debunked Kevin McCarthy's claim that the FBI broke into Trump's campaign. And that article is, of course... False. Yes, the inspector general's report stated that the FBI sent people into the campaign with wires to get intelligence without the Trump team's knowledge under the guise of a defensive briefing into the campaign. That is also called spying and for that matter, breaking into the campaign. Furthermore, we know that the FBI and possibly the CIA were coordinating to spy on Papadopoulos via Stefan Halper and Azra Turk, who is one of the uh, FBI slash CIA assets. No one's quite claimed her yet, but we know based on uh, testimony from Papadopoulos that she is in all likelihood a honeypot on behalf of some Western intelligence service. Uh, and that was in September of 2016, right around the time that the first FISA warrant was obtained on Carter Page. And instead of investigating the Watergate-level corruption within the bureaucracy, the Democrats would rather put the pedal to the metal on impeachment and on hashtag Kremlin Kevin and then pull the emergency brake on the impeachment thing out of nowhere. Anyway, so then we roll over to Devin Nunez, who's another guy who is consistently attacked by the media because, again, he has sound, rational, dare I say even intelligent points to make in defense of the president. Nunez, Nunez rather, absolutely rolled Adam Schiff with a letter in response to the information that came out as a result of the IG report. Um, Fortunately, Mr. Nunez wrote this letter and, uh, and it was posted on Twitter by Byron York of, I believe, The Daily Caller. I don't know. By- Byron York's a, a hell of a journalist out there. Um, but he, he probably does write in multiple occasions. But nonetheless, I happen to see this on his Twitter feed. And I'd like to read some of it to you because it's hilarious. So this is a letter after the IG report came out from Devin Nunez to Adam Schiff. And it reads Dear Chairman Schiff, as you are aware, on December 9th, 2019, U.S. Department of Justice Inspector General Michael Horowitz published. The results of his investigation of the FISA warrant and renewals obtained by the Federal Bureau of Investigations and the Department of Justice to spy on Trump campaign associate Carter Page. The IG's findings of pervasive major abuses by the FBI dramatically contradict the assertions of your memo released on February 24, 2018, in which you claimed, quote, FBI and DOJ officials did not abuse the FISA process, omit material information, or subvert this vital tool to spy on the Trump campaign. End quote. After publishing false conclusions of such enormity on a topic directly within this committee's oversight responsibilities, it is clear you are in need of a rehabilitation. And I hope this letter will serve as the first step in that vital process. I mean, come on. The, the, the just... Devin Nunez is really having some fun with this one, and good for him. You know what? It's time for this dude to strut a little bit. He's been getting kicked around and shat on by the entire media, by all of his Democratic colleagues. Everybody who has at really, I mean, other than the handful of Republicans and the president and a few pundits out there, everybody has been piling on this guy, calling him, uh, you know, a Russian bod and a traitor, and he's, uh, you know, potentially tarnishing national security, and he's a conspiracy theorist, and all this sort of stuff. Well, the IG report proved a lot of what he's been saying for years to be 100% correct. And Mr. Schiff, who thought back in February of 2018 that he would write a counter memo to the Nunes memo, which just so happened to turn out to be virtually 100% correct. Adam Schiff obviously just fell completely on his face by trying to debunk what were otherwise known as facts. Getting back into the letter here, outlining every false claim from your memo would require an extremely long letter. So I will limit my summary To a few highlights, in your memo, you made the following assertions that the FBI and DOJ officials did not omit material information from the FISA warrant. Also, uh, the DOJ made only narrow use of information from Christopher Steele's sources about Page's specific activities in 2016. He also wrote that in subsequent FISA renewals, DOJ provided additional information that corroborated Steele's reporting. He made the claim that the page FISA warrant allowed the FBI to collect valuable intelligence. He also claimed that far from omitting material facts about Steele, as the majority claims, DOJ repeatedly informed the courts about Steele's background, credibility, and potential bias. He also made the claim that the FBI conducted a rigorous process to vet Steele's allegations and the Page FISA uh, FISA application explained the FBI's reasonable basis for finding Steele credible. And yet another claim, Steele's prior reporting was used in criminal proceedings. Uh, None of those things were true. He made all of those claims in the Adam Schiff memo. Not one of them were true. Not one. Not a single one of those things were true. All debunked by the IG report. And again, as Nunez said, that's really just the highlights. Nunez continues. I'm particularly concerned by the press release you issued after the release of the IG report. I applaud you for acknowledging that the report identified, quote, issues and errors, unquote, and, quote, potential misconduct, unquote, connected to the FISA warrant. This acknowledgement, though dramatically downplaying the scale of the abuse the IG uncovered, would be a valuable first step. A baby step, but a step nonetheless in your rehabilitation. And I just—I mean, he goes on from there to just kind of really lay it in there. Uh, I suggest looking it up. If you look it up, Nunez, letter to Schiff, pretty much even Google, I think, will we'll give it to you in one of the first results or two. It, it's just magnificent. And again, good for Devin Nunez, man. It's time for homie to strut. He's put in a lot of good work. He's gotten a lot of flack for it. And now that the IG report has all but vindicated everything that he's ever said, and the I believe the Barr-Durham report in the spring of 2020 will go even further to, uh, to prove what a patriot this guy has been, um, hats off to Devin Nunez, man. This, this is, again, the beauty of Trump. Can you imagine a Republican ever writing a letter like this 10 years ago, 5 years ago? Nope. That's because Trump has finally found all of their balls and apparently FedExed them all to them. Anyway, so who's going to be the next one up, right? Well, I just mentioned it, I think. Barr and Durham, right? Barr is constantly under attack, and that's no surprise. But we haven't heard a ton of attacks on Durham. So I'm predicting that in the early parts of 2020, as we get closer to the release of that report in the spring of 2020, that the media and the Democrats are scared to death of John Durham and are going to do everything that they possibly can to try to sully his name from now until then. And as a matter of fact, they actually started a little early because I have an article in the show notes here from December 27th of 2019 from Politico. This article is written by Natasha Bertrand of Politico, aka a known hack writing for a known rag, is insinuating in this article that if John Durham continues to dig into the intelligence agencies, he's going to be injuring our national security because intel agencies might be afraid to do their jobs. All right, first and foremost, this is the first shot fired in the attack on John Durham. Let, let us all remember this. Now, um, Natasha Bertrand is setting the bar pretty high as far as the stupid factor here. Um, you know, the idea that investigating our intelligence agencies to make sure that they're doing everything above board is going to somehow keep them from doing their jobs is in and of itself Asinine. I mean, just the. It, it, could it obviously stop some people who aren't doing their jobs properly from taking shortcuts or, you know, skirting around procedures? Yeah, that's exactly what it's all designed to do. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you, Miss Bertrand, but um, if your idea of a well-run intelligence bureaucracy is one that is to be left completely unchecked, um, I suggest that you go ahead and read George Orwell's. 1984 to get even a sniff of an idea as to what that might end up looking like. Anyway, um, if an impeachment falls in the woods and no one hears it, was Donald Trump ever impeached? This is obviously something I think I've talked about a couple times uh, throughout the previous shows that I've done in the last couple of weeks. But obviously, we have an impeachment that hasn't quite landed in the Senate, which is where it needs to land if you're actually serious about trying to remove a president from Office, but I have a actually a quick article here from the Washington Times which talks about Noah Feldman, who is a Democrat and was one of the Democrat impeachment witnesses uh, during those hearings, who wrote an article recently talking about how basically if they don't actually pass the articles of impeachment over to the Senate, that the impeachment never really took place. And as a matter of fact, he even suggests that if we get to January 2020, when there's a new Congress that takes session, if that if that impeachment article has not been passed along to the Senate, that it may very well null and void those articles because now we'd be looking at a new Congress who would have to pass a new vote on those same articles and then pass it along to the Senate. So It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Does uh, Crazy Aunt Nancy hold on to these things until maybe the last second they pass it off to the Senate? Will they ever actually pass it off to the Senate? And if they don't, does the impeachment really mean anything? I mean, it, it says in the Constitution that the House votes on on impeachment and the Senate tries impeachment. If the Senate never gets the opportunity to try the impeachment, did the impeachment ever really happen? I I don't think so, and neither does Noah Feldman, who is a constitutional lawyer that the Democrats wanted us to listen to back when he was spewing their nonsense, but now that he's speaking some truth and some reality about the situation, now all of a sudden they don't want to hear it. Now he's not such an expert anymore, and I find it absolutely hilarious i'm starting to wonder if the democrats are even capable of of being aware that they are stepping on their own feet and continue to do so over and over again like maybe they maybe they just got like i don't know maybe they got frostbite like maybe they can't feel that they're stepping on their own feet because they continue to do it um they got you know there's maybe they're so far left that they literally have two left feet now and that would explain why they just keep running in circles Um, speaking of stepping on their own feet, Hillary Clinton most certainly is as she continues to reemerge on Twitter periodically to remind us precisely why we didn't vote for her. She writes a little post on Twitter that reads the following, and I quote, make sure your family and friends see the evidence for themselves. The president asked a foreign power to interfere in the 2020 election for his own political gain. Americans deserve free and fair elections he must be held accountable, end quote. And then there's a little link that takes you to this dumbass website, right? So, <laughs> Oh, my God. All right, so Hillary Clinton, she puts this link to this website, right? So the website is trumpandimpeachment.com. And uh, there's a few points on this website that you see, like, as soon as you sign on to it, all of which are wrong and I'm going to debunk them all quickly for you here. So before you actually, basically the website pops up, there's like a little header and then there's three big points that they want you to know about Trump and impeachment, I suppose. So the first big point that pops up, it says, if anyone else engaged in a similar bribery scheme, they'd be charged with a crime to which I respond. Great. I'm expecting charges to be brought up on Joe Biden any day now then. Thank you, Miss Clinton. And then they get to the big three points that they want you to know about. The first one, it reads, abuse of power. President Trump abused his power by personally soliciting foreign government interference into our elections for his own political gain. Trump pressured the Ukrainian president to investigate his political opponent and withheld $250 million in military aid in a White House meeting as leverage. End quote. And the source is listed, New York Times, September 23, 2019. So first and foremost, this is obviously just a gross mischaracterization of what actually happened. A, there was no pressure, as stated multiple times by the man on the other end of the phone call, President Zelensky. B, it was not for political gain. It was in the name of fighting corruption in the Ukraine, which just so happened to involve our former vice president and now Democratic frontrunner and his son, who is curiously working for a massive energy company in a region that his father was presiding over, despite having no experience in the field, not speaking Ukrainian, having a history of substance abuse, and coming along with a boatload of conflicts of interest. Then, C, the, the funds were released without any statements from the Ukraine about investigating Burisma or the Bidens. Has anybody shocked that the New York Times would lie about any of these things? I didn't think so. Anyway, so let's move on to number two, which reads... And I quote, obstructing the investigation. Trump has obstructed and impeded Congress's investigation at every turn, ordering his political appointees and inner circle to refuse to comply with lawful congressional subpoenas and document requests. These actions are aimed at covering up Trump's misconduct. Source, New York Times, November 12th, 2019. Wow. So they're really stretching the truth here. And, of course, it's the New York Times again. I'm guessing WAPO is not too happy about being left out of this impeachment circle jerk. But let's go ahead and debunk this point real quick. A... Um, he has ordered his, quote, inner circle to challenge the subpoenas in court, which they are doing. No one in the White House has been in violation of any laws by allowing the courts to do their intended goal, which is to settle disputes between the legislative and executive branches. B, this is not a cover-up, since there is nothing to cover up. This is about protecting the presidency from future attacks of this type Trump has said repeatedly in regards to the Russian hoax and now the Ukraine hoax that this should never happen to another president. And of course, he's 100 percent correct, because if this were to happen to any and all presidents, the president would never get anything accomplished because not all presidents will be Donald Trump. By giving the Dems everything that they want, he would be signaling to them that it is now the norm in politics and we will be completely and utterly in political gridlock from now until the eventual collapse of our nation. Anyway, let's move on to point three, which reads, and I quote, impeachment is the only option. Trump's behavior threatens every American's right to free and fair elections. Left unchecked, this behavior threatens the very foundation of our democracy. The only way to hold Trump accountable is for the House of Representatives to impeach him and the Senate to remove him from office. End quote. Source, U.S. Constitution. All right. Okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure if Donald Trump was mentioned in the Constitution by name that we would never, ever hear the end of it.
1: Have you read the Constitution lately? Guess who's mentioned by name? The founders knew one day I would be chosen, the chosen one, to make this country great again. They're so smart. So smart, these fellows. People have been telling me how smart they are for years. Not the greatest dressers, but smart guys. Believe me.
0: All right, so then B... The Constitution does, however, actually mention that impeachment should be implemented in the event that the president participates in treason, bribery, high crimes, or misdemeanors. Bribery is actually what this whole situation was supposed to be about. But when it came time to put the pen to paper, the Democrats didn't want bribery as one of the articles of impeachment. I wonder why. Actually, I don't. It's because they don't actually have any evidence of bribery. Which brings me to... Alexander Hamilton, yeah, you guys remember him. He's the star of that play that all the liberals loved because the uh, the, the people in the cast decided to you know, say something stupid to Mike Pence or whatever the fuck. Yeah, Alexander Hamilton, other than being a Broadway star, um, was there when the Constitution was being written and warned against a political impeachment in the Federalist Paper, number 65, saying the following. And I quote, In many cases, it will connect itself with the pre-existing factions and will enlist all their animosities partialities influence and interests on one side or on the other and in such cases there will always be the greatest danger that the decision will be regulated more by the comparative strength of parties than by the real demonstrations of innocence or guilt End quote so that's hamilton talking about just the power of impeachment and, and the temptation to potentially get hyper and uber political with it, rather than worrying about whether or not the president actually committed a crime and whether or not he's innocent or guilty of said crime, regardless of whether or not you happen to be voting for him, have voted for him, or uh, or you happen to you know vote for his party or against his party or whatever the case may be. Uh, so Hamilton, you know, when they when they like him, they like him. When they don't, you don't hear quotes like this. It's amazing. Anyway, so that's pretty much it on all of the targets and the impeachment and all that good stuff. I have some more debunking to do, but since I just talked about impeachment and how pathetic the Democrats are, I think that brings us to our musical number for the week. So this is a uh, parody of Gary Jewell's Mad World. Those of you who uh, may have seen Requiem for a Dream should probably be familiar with this song and uh, just a a kick-ass song and uh, hopefully a kick-ass parody. But here is my rendition. Harrison Bergeron's rendition of Sad World, uh, a parody again of Gary Jules's Mad World, in honor of the Democrats being just so damn pathetic. I hope you enjoy.
1: All around us, faceless accusations, blown up cases, ugly faces. They must know they cannot win the races Going nowhere Going nowhere Leftist tears fill up Shapiro's tumbler So called progressives No progression Shake my head people really believe this No achievements No achievements. And I think it's kind of funny that they're so fucking sad. These articles of impeachment, the best case they ever had. And that amounts to nothing. In fact, it might be less. Their alternate dimension, it's a very, very sad word. Sad world Liberals waiting to regain the White House Won't be this year, won't be this year Maybe they'll accept the outcome this time Who am I kidding? They'll keep on bitching Watch the news and it is all a clown show Who elected all these bozos? What will happen after 2020? More impeachments, more impeachments And I think it's kind of funny that they're so fucking sad These articles of impeachment, the best case they ever had. And that amounts to nothing. In fact, it might be less. Their alternate dimension, it's a very, very sad world. Sad world. There were feelings unfurled. Sad words.
0: All right, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. That brings me back to some more liberal debunking. And I'm actually going to point out to my own little Twitter thread here because I see stupid things trending on Twitter like the Nazis weren't socialists, which is fucking hilarious, being that it's literally in the name, the national socialist party, but let's say for uh, some whatever reason that you don't abide by that simple explanation. I've got a few things here that will inevitably lead you to the conclusion that the Nazis were in fact, socialists despite all of the media's gaslighting as is usually the case with the left and the media. What they're doing is either stupid or evil. I'll let you decide. So are the Nazis socialists? Well, the Nazis happen to write A whole 25-point economic policy for us to evaluate and determine whether or not this is socialism, to which I will point you to several key points that do. Number 10, and I quote, The first obligation of every citizen must be to work both spiritually and physically. The activity of individuals is not to counteract the interests of the universality, but must have its result within the framework of the whole for the benefit of all. That's not only socialism, that sounds like outright communism, but alas, let's push forward with more of those points. Number 13, they state that we demand the nationalization of all previously associated industries or trusts. So, I mean, that is literally socialism. Then moving on from there, number 14, we demand a division of profits of all heavy industries. So they want to distribute wealth via socialists and communist policies then we move on from there number 15 we demand an expansion on a large scale of old age welfare if that doesn't sound like your modern democratic party i don't know what is and by the way most of them claim themselves to be to some degree socialists or at the very least defend socialism despite the fact that it has killed millions upon millions of people Number 16 on the list is we demand the creation of a healthy middle class and its conservation. Okay, actually doesn't sound quite so bad, but they continue to go on. They continue immediate communalization of the great warehouses and they're being leased at low cost to small firms. The utmost consideration of all small firms in contracts with the state, county, and municipality. So they want you, if you own a great warehouse, to uh, basically rent control, le- lease out your, uh, your space to smaller firms so that they can have contracts with the state and the county and the municipality to ultimately contribute to the greater good, as I'm sure they'll claim. Then number 17, We demand a land reform suitable to our needs, provision of a law for the free expropriation of land for the purposes of public utility, abolition of taxes on land, and prevention of all speculation in land. So actually, the abolition of taxes part actually sounds quite dandy, but what they really want to do there is to end all the speculation on land, essentially removing the capitalist element from any and all land sales, which sounds sort of socialist, if not, again, outright communist, and, uh, and ultimately ended up being what we all know as fascists, but, um, which is sort of the progression. is it starts with socialism, the end game of socialism is communism, and the end game of communism has always ended up being fascism. Now, number 17, parts of that may actually sound a whole lot like what we know as eminent domain, which has actually been referred to by the great economist Thomas Sowell as socialism For the rich, he had a quote kind of explaining exactly what he means by that, and here it is, and I quote, What eminent domain laws mean in practice is that politicians have a right to seize your property and turn it over to someone else in order to gain campaign contributions and win votes, end quote. Then let's get back into the Nazis' 25-point economic plan, which clearly points to them being socialist, Number 18, aka, don't you dare do anything against the all-powerful state. Number 18 reads, we demand struggle without consideration against those whose activities is injurious to the general interests. Common national criminals, usurpers, Scheiber, and so forth are to be punished with death without consideration of confession or race. So this is, again, one of those Types of situations where the state is all-powerful, really leaning more towards fascism, but as we've seen in the previous economic points, the, the, the beginning of all of that is socialism. Now, uh, there is actually a really, really good video, a great breakdown uh, by a gentleman strangely enough, named Razor Fist, who is on YouTube. He's a guy, I, I watch a lot of his videos because he's just got such a way with words, uh, may even have a slightly better way with words than yours truly. Um, but he has a video which I will have in the show notes that kind of elaborates much further on kind of the fundamentals of Nazism and exactly why they are so very, very socialist. Henceforth, they are the National Socialist Party. And as Razor Fist would say, God fucking speed. Anyway, another topic that Mr. Fist actually happened to be a little upset about was the great Virginia gun grab. Uh, he had talked about this a while back, but since then, this this attempt by the Democrats in Virginia to grab guns in, in Virginia has backfired, pun intended, quite spectacularly. So here's a headline from AmericanMilitaryNews.com. The headline reads, Sweeping Virginia Gun Ban... Likely confiscation without grandfather clause proposed by state legislators. And they read it reads in the article, and I quote Virginia State Senator Richard Soslaw introduced SB 16, which would expand the definition of an assault firearm to cover many semi automatic rifles and pistols. The bill would call for the ban of such firearms, barring people from purchasing, possessing, selling, or transferring those weapons. Among the charges, uh, changes in firearm definitions. The bill would expand the term "quote assault firearm" end quote to include semi-automatic centerfire rifles and pistols with a fixed magazine capacity greater than 10 rounds. The bill would also ban semi-automatic rifles and pistols with detachable magazines that also have folding and telescopic scopes, barrel shrouds, and thumbhole grips and second-hand grips. Rifles under the new bill would not be allowed. Pistol grips, bayonet mounts grenade or flare launchers, silencers, muzzle brakes, and flash suppressors. Virginians would not be allowed pistols that accept the magazine into the the weapon in any other point than the pistol grip. Pistols would also have an unloaded weight limit of 50 ounces. The bill also limits shotguns to a magazine capacity of no more than seven shells. The provision of this act may result in a net increase in periods of imprisonment forced commitment, the bill says, indicating increased imprisonments as one likely outcome of its passage. Yeah, so they are willing to just outright say most of the guns that are out there on the market are now banned. If you don't turn them in, we will arrest you. And they even listed as one of the potential consequences of the passage of this bill, they did, that the provision of this act may result in a net increase in periods of imprisonment or commitment, which means that if they come to get your gun and you don't give it up, guess what they're going to do? They're going to lock you up either in a, in a padded cell or a cement one. Either way, your private property And your individual freedom are being taken away, which is actually a very nice little example of exactly what the Democrats want to do as a whole. But, as I mentioned, this whole thing backfired spectacularly because America and uh, 86 of Virginia's 95 counties have declared themselves Second Amendment sanctuaries. So you might remember sanctuary cities and sanctuary states in terms of basically sanctuaries that are, are shielding themselves from federal immigration law. Well... These counties have taken that same principle and said, all right, we're going to do the same thing against any gun control laws. And so we are going to be a second amendment sanctuary. So go ahead, pass all the gun laws you want, much like when the federal government tried to implement immigration laws and these particular cities and states and counties had de- declared themselves sanctuaries from those laws. Now these 86 Virginia uh, counties are doing the same in terms of gun laws in 86 of the 95 counties. Are doing it. They are, of course, rejecting these new laws on the local level, such as, like we've seen, not only with the immigration laws, but we saw with Colorado when they initially legalized pot. Uh, they were in defiance of federal law and just pushed ahead with it anyway. It's kind of funny. Because these are states' rights issues, right? Essentially, Colorado legalizing a pot within their state is a states' rights issue. Everybody in the country seemed to think that this was some sort of left-wing talking point about pot legalization. But the right-wing is the party, or the Republican Party, is the party that's always pushing for more states' rights. Same was the case with the immigration laws. And that seemed to be the only time that the left-wing seemed to care about states and local rights. And now we're swinging back to uh, to. Right-wingers using these things to their advantage to declare themselves sanctuaries from this outrageous liberal attempt to take away all of your guns. Now, what does Governor Blackface have to say about all this? Yes, of course, Ralph Northam is still the governor of Virginia, despite the fact that he once wore blackface and or a clan hood. No one really knows to this day, either of which would obviously be, be, be bad And yet the left doesn't seem to be all that outraged about that. Remember when Megyn Kelly was fired from The View for even suggesting that blackface isn't that big a deal? That was around this story, if I'm not mistaken. Joy Behar, by the way, actually wore blackface, was called out for it by Donald Trump, denied it after having admitted it on air previously, even flashing a picture to which her African-American co-host was like, that looks like blackface because it looked like blackface. But alas, Governor Blackface is more than fine to be the governor of Virginia as well as governor or prime minister blackface is still heralded by the media and by the left, even endorsed by Barack Obama, and was, of course, applauded for chuckling at Donald Trump a couple of months ago at one of the G20 conferences or whatever the most recent big national stupid conference was. Um, that, that guy, yeah, the guy who, who sang Deo in blackface conceivably most of the days of his teenage years, is, uh, is the prime minister of Canada, received a endorsement from the first ever African-American president of the United States, and uh, is supposedly uh, somebody that we're supposed to take seriously uh, in regards to his opinions of our president who runs a far superior country and does it in a far superior manner. Anyway, so, um, yeah, here's what Blackface had to say, Governor Blackface this time, and I quote, if we have constitutional laws on the books and law enforcement officers are not enforcing those laws on the books, then there are going to be consequences, but I'll cross that bridge if and when we get to it. So now, all of a sudden, Local law enforcement has to uh, abide by the laws on the books. I mean, first and foremost, the laws that he's proposing here are obviously not constitutional. There's a whole amendment about your ability to obtain a firearm for for the purposes of protecting yourself. Second of all, and come to think of it, the idea of states' rights here really doesn't even apply to these gun laws, right? Because gun laws aren't unto themselves unconstitutional. There is an amendment in the Constitution that states that you have the right to bear arms— there is also in the Constitution the uh, in in Article Two, it gives our um, it gives our executive branch wide sweeping power in terms of immigration policy, whereas states don't have really much say in immigration policy because if we were to have different immigration policies in every different state, it would be complete and utter chaos. One of the few legitimate purposes of the federal government is to handle immigration, trade, basically foreign policy as a whole. Um, and then also, obviously, other things like the military and, um, and, and law enforcement to a certain extent. But um, the idea of the, the sanctuaries from gun laws actually makes a hell of a lot more sense than the sanctuaries from immigration laws. Because, again, the federal government, one of their explicit purposes is to handle immigration issues. Because that's essentially a foreign policy issue it's also a national security issue in terms of protecting our border from those who shouldn't be coming across it or and, and are making no attempt to do so legally like 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 I like states rights States rights are great but not when they come in direct conflict with the Constitution more specifically the Bill of Rights anyway I do have a copy of the bill in the show notes for you so be sure to read that if you're interested. Uh, also let's move on to another topic here. The OK symbol, those of you who follow me on Twitter, at RightOpinionPod, will be very much aware that I like to use this symbol a lot because it triggers people. and uh, And I think it's just really funny to get their reactions when they're like, you're a white supremacist. I'm like, nah, not even close. Anyway, so those of you who are unaware of the whole origins of this nonsense that the OK hand sign is somehow a symbol of white supremacy, I politely ask you to follow along with me here for a second. I want everyone to just go ahead and take your hand. Either hand doesn't matter. And uh, let's say your strong hand, I'll use my left. Open your hand, spread your fingers apart, face your palm away from you. Now I want you to take the tip of your pointer finger and touch it to your thumb and you're racist. That's essentially how that works. okay. all right. in all seriousness, all rational beings know that that symbol just means okay. In some circles, pun intended. Uh, It also means asshole. I I, I was told that as a kid, like the three fingers up are for A-S-S, and then the hole obviously being a hole. But it is definitely not a symbol of white power, which is what the media will have you believe because they're a bunch of freaking idiots. The concept of this hand symbol representing some idea of white power or white supremacy came from 4chan, of all places, where a bunch of trolls decided to make a few memes which spread across the internet and tricked the media into thinking that Trump And members of his organization who were all using that hand symbol um, or hand signal, supposedly, uh, were using it as a dog whistle to their white nationalist pals. Now, the symbol, when you make the OK sign, it looks sort of like a W with the three fingers up and a P with your circle that you've now made with your pointer finger and your thumb as well as your arm. Um, So this would obviously be W P obviously means white power, right? It couldn't possibly mean anything else when in actuality we all know it just means okay. But apparently the fact that it vaguely resembles a WP was enough for the geniuses of the mainstream media to run with this as it is absolute fact despite the fact that it was clearly a troll job and has been common knowledge for years. But they continue to run with it Other morons, such as actual white supremacists, have actually now adopted this symbol because they're the brand of morons that believes CNN and the stupid things that they have to say, and the cycle of stupid continues forever and always. Anyway, this brings me to the Army-Navy game, college football game of a few weeks ago. President Trump was in attendance, which is obviously what really stewed all of this on here. Um, Yeah, a couple of students, I guess, were caught on the camera flashing this symbol towards the camera and uh, this led to an actual internal investigation within the Navy, and the investigation concluded, much to the media's dismay, that the midshipmen involved in the incident were playing the circle game, which is another application of this particular hand symbol, hand signal. Uh, basically, it's a game where you gotta you make the little si- uh, circle with your pointer finger and your thumb, and if you make your friends look at it, or if you get your friends to look at it, then you get to punch them or something along those lines. I used to play this game all the time when I was a waiter uh, back in the day. It was very popular then because it kind of kept the shift moving along. I guess they do this similarly in the armed forces, apparently the Navy in particular, and that's what these gentlemen were doing. We're trying to get their friends to look at the circle on camera so that they can later go back and punch them. Ooh, so racist. So I'm going to assume here that there will be no apologies from the media for immediately assuming that our, our Navy is racist, but... I also go ahead and recall that there was a Cubs fan that was kicked out of Wrigley Field for the same reason. I have an article from PJ Media in the show notes about that. That fan was banned for life because he happened to be making the symbol directly behind uh, um, one of the, uh, the kind of like the sideline reporters. There who happened to be a black guy. He made the symbol right behind him. Some idiot on Twitter was like, "Oh my God! Did somebody just see that white guy giving the white white power symbol behind that black guy?" And the guy was banned from Wrigley Field for life. If there was ever a reason to be a White Sox fan, I think that might be the only one. Meanwhile, you got Steph Curry of basketball fame. He's and He's African-American himself, or I believe half, I guess. Um, he is very anti-Trump. He's African-American. He's a point guard for the Golden State Warriors. He's one of the best basketball players you've ever seen in your goddamn life. One of the greatest pure shooters you'll ever see. He actually has a new line of golf wear that is out that heavily features the OK symbol. There's a, a commercial for it. He's wearing a hat, and it's a black hat, and it's got a white, supposed white power symbol right dead smack in the middle of it. And he's not the only one who likes this design, obviously. I'm sure he's got a few people and probably people of color in his organization that came up with that symbol and OK'd it along with himself. But his teammate, Andre Iguodala, also another black guy, playing on his, sure enough, plays on the, on the Golden State Warriors as well, uh, to tweet at Steph and tell him that he needs one of those hats. But I thought that that symbol is white power. What would either one of these guys want to do with that symbol if, in fact, it means white power? Steph Curry accidentally crushing liberal narratives. It's, it's you know, he's opened his mouth about enough issues he didn't actually know about. It's nice for some of his actions to come back around and do us some service here on the right. Anyway, that brings me to uh, one of the last big topics here, and those would be the Trump accomplishments since he's taken office. So I've got some editorialization to do on some of these, but I'm going to kind of run through it. There is an article in the show notes from Real Clear Politics that gives you Trump's top 10 achievements. I'm going to give you mostly mine. A lot of them do coincide with the list. But he promised us jobs. Check. He promised lower taxes. Check. He pulled us out of the Paris Climate Accord. Check. He pulled us out of the TPP. Check. He repealed the Obamacare mandate. Check. And it's actually now being eliminated altogether in courts, possibly. So double check. Draining the swamp. Check. I know a lot of you are like, but what about all the the guys in his cabinet? Yeah. What about Jim Comey, Andy McCabe, John Brennan, James Clapper, Peter Stroke, Lisa Page? They're all gone from our intelligence communities. Jeff Flake. You know, a little rhino Republican gone. John McCain, well, let's face it, it was just a waiting game, but he's also gone. Let's not forget all the CEOs who have resigned, the celebrities who have been exposed thanks to the hashtag MeToo movement, which make no mistake about it, would not have happened under the presidency of Hillary Clinton. I could virtually guarantee you that. Nor would the IG report have existed and exposed the FBI or the Dar- the Barr and Durham report, which will be coming up in spr- in the spring. Uh, which will have a few more risks to slap in the broader intelligence community and possibly even a few foreign allies. All of that exposed as a result of Donald Trump being elected. Also, two conservative or at the very least non-liberal activist Supreme Court justices, check and check, ended ISIS, check, made the U.S. a net natural gas exporter for the first time since the Eisenhower administration, check. Even amongst all this impeachment stuff that's gone on, the dude Cannot help but continue to win. The USMCA was finally passed in the House. Check. He talked about rewriting NAFTA and, uh, and and finding a new agreement. That's the USMCA. So he nailed that one as well. He approved, or at least the the Senate did, another 11 federal judges, which means that he has appointed more federal judges than virtually any president since George Washington. And it's 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 a pretty wide margin on between what he's managed to do in that front and other. So Donald Trump, whether you like him or not, is shaping the federal court system for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, potentially, if he gets reelected, he promised us cheaper drugs on, on pharmaceuticals. Check Wall Street Journal article in the show notes talking about how the U.S. advances his plan to allow imports of certain drugs in a bid to cut prices that also may have very well been closely tied to, if not a part of the U.S. MCA. Uh, the big promises, right? Build the wall, check. That's going down. By the end of 2020, we'll have about 500 miles of wall built. He wanted to rebuild the military, check. He wanted Space Force, check. All of those three things happen to be addressed in the most recent spending bill where he both funded and established Space Force. He happened to pay, uh, get pay raises for the military, paid parental family leave, uh, which is fine when the government does it, but I don't want this forced on the private sector, but He forced it within the military, fine, Uh, and the package does not feature any specific language that would bar him from using military funds to continue to build the wall. This guy may very well be the best president ever, and I, I say to my friends all the time, other than lock up Hillary and cut the budget, he's pretty much done everything he said he was going to do, and there's still time for at least one of those best president ever. Anyway, so the Democrats, let's get back to them here for a second and their nonsense. You know, they're always doing this talking point about how the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act have have only helped the rich. Okay, well, they continue to claim that this wealth disparity has grown under Trump when the reality is that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 has actually helped lower income earners the most, right? So it only benefited the rich, according to the left. Well, according to Real Clear Politics, in an article that I believe I have in the show notes here, but if not, it is an article written by, granted, a Trump ally, Steve Cortez, And he provides the following. The most recent jobs report revealed a plethora of records and extended the wage growth winning streak to 16 straight months above a 3% pace, a mark seen only three months total during the sluggish Obama years. In, In addition, the fastest wage gains now flow to those groups that are formerly lagged badly in the slow growth recovery following the Great Recession. For example, the lowest 10% of earners saw income growth at an astounding 7% rate over the last year. Similarly, those without a high school diploma welcomed a 9% wage acceleration in 2019. So they continue to claim, that's the end of the quote, by the way, so they continue to claim that the tax cuts only help the rich, but empirical data shows the exact opposite. Who's, Who's surprised? Anybody? Anybody? Didn't think so. All right. So meanwhile, there happens to be a contingent of Democrats who actually want to repeal the SALT cap, which is a part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. This would benefit precisely zero members of the lower class and very few, if any members, of the middle class. So just kind of a brief explanation of what the SALT cap is. So previously, before this uh, act, you could you could deduct your state income tax from your federal tax. So if you paid... Let's say you paid fifteen thousand dollars between your state and your federal tax uh, I'm sorry between your state and your local taxes including your property taxes um, you could take that fifteen thousand dollars and deduct it from whatever you owed to the federal government now there's a cap on that which says that you can only uh, deduct as much as ten thousand dollars from your federal income so if you are somebody who pays fifteen thousand dollars, Uh, which would mean that you probably live in a very nice neighborhood and you have a very nice house to be paying that level of property and state taxes. Uh, Also, obviously, a very nice income to be paying that level in state and and local taxes. Um, You now can only deduct $10,000 from your federal income, which means that you would hypothetically, again, getting back to that $15,000 number, you would still have to pay $5,000. Uh, towards the federal government that you wouldn't have previously paid because you could have just deducted all of those taxes. Now you can only deduct ten thousand dollars. So this is a specific section of the law that only hurts the wealthy. Only the tax cut. So Democrats' Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of two thousand and seventeen only helps the rich. Salt caps only hurt the rich. They don't help the, the poor in the slightest, unless, of course, you want to make the argument that that money is being repurposed towards welfare programs, in which case, sure. All right. And I have a quick statement here, basically kind of summarizing exactly what they're trying to do. And I quote, a bill from House Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal and others would modify and then repeal for two years the 2017 tax laws cap. ...on the federal deduction of state and local taxes, a.k.a. SALT, and offset the cost over 10 years by returning the top individual tax rate to 39.6%. By itself, repealing the SALT cap would overwhelmingly benefit high-income households since most low- and middle-income taxpayers don't face the SALT cap. So rather than get rid of this reduction... Um, which is, again, if you're going to get rid of that cap, it's only going to help the rich. And then they want to raise the top income tax rate to 39.6%, which obviously counters that. But then why even do this in the first place? There's a lot more to gain, I'm sure, in a lot of cases, particularly people who have a lot of land, a lot of wealth, and a lot of income. There's a lot more to be gained by that uh, being repealed than by the 39.6% a uh, tax increase which i think is only about a 3 or 4% tax increase on on top of what the top individual tax rate is as a result of the tax cuts and jobs act of 2017. So they they basically they're just kind of shuffling things around making it look like it's sort of like an even move which would you know beg the question why are we doing it in the first place when in actuality all it's going to do is ultimately end up helping the rich and hurting the poor because now the wealthy are going to have less money in their pockets to invest in their businesses which pay many of the poor and the middle-income earners in this country. Now, this actually brings me to my favorite part, or should I say parts, of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which was not only economically brilliant, but also politically brilliant, so much so it got passed and the Democrats, I don't know, have fully figured this stuff out yet, but here it goes. As a matter of fact, I could tell you they haven't figured out number two yet, which is why that they were going to try to repeal the SALT cap, but let's get into number one. The individual tax cuts that were part of that 2017 bill, those are going away in 2025. So the corporate tax cuts will remain, but the individual tax cuts were only in place until 2025, which means that essentially the presidential race of 2024 will have a lot to do with whether or not those tax cuts are going to be extended. The Republican will run, obviously, on extending those effectively keeping income taxes where they are, and the Democrat will run on allowing them to expire, effectively making taxes higher. This puts the Dems in a really tough spot in the first post-Trump-era presidential election, and if my predictions are correct, that will mean that Trump will not only have won two presidential elections himself, but then will have helped the case for a Republican to replace him, which is going to be an uphill battle regardless And Trump may have very well leveled the playing field on that front by giving the Republican that talking point to use when they're running in 2024. Again, politically brilliant as well as economically brilliant. And that brings me to number two, which is, again, the point that the Democrats who are pushing for the salt cap removal are clearly not understanding. And that is that the salt cap was designed to force liberals to turn their attention on their local governments to lower state and local taxes. Which states? Are the most affected by the salt cap, New York, New Jersey, California, Maryland, and Connecticut, all liberal strongholds. so instead of looking to reverse a section of the tax cut that actually does hinder the wealthy, they want to repeal that clause altogether and help the wealthy when that what they should be doing is turning around and asking their governors, "Hey, why are our state and property taxes so high?" And why don't we do something towards reducing them so that they're below this $10,000 cut or a $10,000 cap so that we can continue to live in this fine state and enjoy the luxuries of our wealth within its walls or within its borders. Now, I live in New Jersey. And when I say this sort of stuff to people, they always give me the, oh, it'll never happen, man. You know, we're never going to cut taxes here. And it's only going to get worse. To which I always say, yeah, it, it definitely won't happen with that attitude. I mean, we need to elect somebody who isn't a radical leftist like our current governor, Phil Murphy, who would rather give driver's licenses to illegals than worry about the people who are funding all of this nonsense through their extremely high state and local taxes. You know what's going to happen eventually is that people from these states will move out of those states into redder states and probably proceed to continue to vote blue because they're idiots and didn't realize that that's why they moved out in the first place. But um, it really was designed I think, anyway, this is a bit of speculation on my part, to affect these states more than most so that these people who live in these states can decide... Do I want to stay in this in this in this state? Do I want to continue to elect liberals who are going to continue to push these taxes up? When it's really you're getting double taxed essentially because you're now paying that out, you're paying it on the state level regardless. And you used to be able to not pay whatever amount you paid on the state, you could take that away from your federal income tax. Now, if you're you go above ten thousand dollars, every dollar above ten thousand, you have to now pay the federal government too. So you're going to get double taxed, and if you're Wealthy to begin with, you're already paying a lot in taxes, and eventually you're going to hit the point to where you just have had enough of it, and you're going to either elect somebody new that won't keep raising your taxes, might even lower them, or you're going to move to a place that is already run by somebody who has already lowered taxes, and those states in all likelihood are probably very, very red states. So all of those wealthy people moving in shouldn't make a big enough difference to affect the political outcomes of, let's say, the next presidential election. And that lands me on our final story, The Wokeness of Camila Cabello. Yes, Cabello? I don't know. It's somewhat irrelevant at the moment. Miss Cabello, while being a mildly talented and smoking hot piece of ass, is apparently a revolutionary in the ways of wokeness. She actually took to social media recently to apologize for comments that haven't even surfaced yet, apparently. Yes, she took to social media to write the following post. It looks like on Twitter, and I would also assume on Instagram. It reads, and I quote, When I was younger, I used language that I'm deeply ashamed of and will regret forever. I was uneducated and ignorant, and once I became aware of the history and the weight and the true meaning behind this horrible and hurtful language, I was deeply embarrassed I ever used it. I apologize then, and I apologize again now. I would never intentionally hurt anyone, and I regret it from the bottom of my heart. As much as I wish I could, I can't go back in time and change things I said in the past. But once you know better, you do better, and that's all I can do. I'm 22 now, I'm an adult, and I've grown and I've learned and I'm conscious and aware of the history and the pain it carries in a way I wasn't before. And it continues on, but actually, a little screen cap I have here cuts it off. But neither here nor there. Reps for Cabello did not verify or elaborate on the apology when reached by the Times on Wednesday. So, I mean, this, she doesn't even have to say what she's apologizing for, nor does she have any, nor does anyone have any idea what she's referring to, but now. She's covered, right? Like just in case something does surface and she did use some language she shouldn't have used back in the day. She's good. She's like, this is a this is the equivalent of a get out of jail free card or a get out of Twitter jail free card, I guess maybe. Or similarly, maybe she never actually made any such statements and just really desperately needed attention and knew that an ad such as this or a post such as this would garner that attention. I mean, sadly, we may never know. But Somebody call me when her nudes leak. Until then, I'm wholly uninterested in anything that she has to say. Hashtag stay woke. And in conclusion, I want to give you kind of a big story to keep an eye out for for the month of January, which is the fact that the Republicans have finally grown the stones to ask the Supreme Court of the United States to review Roe versus Wade. And this is going to trigger Some of the craziest conceivable reactions from the left and it should be fun to watch at a bare minimum and I just wanted to make sure that you all were aware of that to keep an eye out for it and uh, to keep an eye out for the impending implosion on the left as they uh, try desperately to salvage the one piece of uh, of the one like, the you know, Supreme Court decision that they value above all others. And uh, just just something to keep an eye out for. I don't have a lot of details on that yet, but it does look like a contingent and a large contingent of Republicans, although not quite as many as I would have liked to have seen in the Senate have asked the Supreme Court to re-review or review, I guess, the, uh, the decision of Roe versus Wade. And because I want to send you home on a light note in light of my rather sad musical interlude in the middle here. Um, I wanted to give you something to listen to on the way out the door, but since this clip is just so ridiculous, it will require no additional commentary from me, I want to go ahead and let it close the show, but first, plugs. So, obviously, you could follow us right here on the Right Opinion Podcast at therightopinion.podbean.com. Feel free to follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Right Opinion Pod. Also, this podcast is At least the monthly regular episode is available on hackerhameen.podbean.com as well as ratsaladreview.com. And um, shout-outs to everybody involved in both of those fine organizations. And then you can also check out the show notes for links to our t-shirt store and for... Anything else that we might have going on here at the right opinion, but the big ones are subscribe to the podcast, right? The right or on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at right opinion pod. No underscores, no spaces, no hyphens, no nothing. Right opinion pod, and uh, that's that's where you get like my daily reaction as news is breaking. I am reading stories and getting my thoughts out there. And in addition to the fact that I'm probably going to provide you with some information that you you might not otherwise have found, particularly if you're only following mainstream media outlets. But it gives you an opportunity to hit that retweet button and tell your friends about what I'm telling you about what's going on in the the malarkey known as the mainstream media. And yeah, that's a Joe Biden term. And I used it. What's he going to do? I don't know, hit me with a hit me with a rusty chain or something like that. I don't know, crazy old Joe. All I know is he's never getting anywhere near my kids, but As mentioned, I do have a little bit of audio to kind of leave you on a light note as we're getting out of here. So it was New Year's Eve. CNN, for some reason, has like a ball drop broadcast that they do. Don Lemon is, for some reason, a part of it. And for some reason, they allow Don Lemon year after year to consume alcohol on the air when all he does is just embarrass himself and their network, although I question how much more either of those things can even be done based on what we've seen in the last couple of years. So Don is suggesting to some random woman who I'm unaware of uh, her, her name, he's suggesting to her that when he, he ran into the crowd at some point, and he suggests that somebody did something weird to him in the crowd, he didn't want to talk about it, but he does go as far as to say that it had something to do with white power. Because when you're Don Lemon, everything is about white power, yet for some strange reason, he's engaged to a white man. Maybe he has white power confused with power bottom. But I'll have to admit, I'm not willing to do the legwork on that potential story. Anyway, before I give you Drunk Don, I'd just like to remind you all that opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, but this asshole has the right opinion. A hey, happy 2020 to all of you. It's going to be a glorious year, and I appreciate you all for following me right here at the RightOpinion.podbean.com. I will talk to you next time, and uh, be sure to check out. The Trump's Benghazi edition over my bonus episode over there, all about the events of Baghdad and, uh, and the death of Soleimani over at the rightopinion.podbean.com. Again, the episode is entitled Trump's Benghazi. And if you follow me on Twitter, at rightopinionpod, I'm Frequently retweeting out all these episodes in hopes that y'all would hit the like and retweet buttons and also give me a review if you can on iTunes. That helps as well. But I've rambled on for too long. Once more, a happy 2020 to all of you. We are going to kick some ass this year and we're going to do it all together and we're going to do it the right way right here on the right opinion.podbean.com. Once more, happy 2020. I think I've said that three or four times now. Maybe I'll say a 20 for the purposes of continuity. I'm kidding. I'll talk to you guys next time. Here's Drunk Don. Peace.
1: I can't believe we got paid to do this once a year. I hey, know. I want to apologize to the entire crew for ripping up the stage you guys, and the running into really the crowd. A little, little bit. Someone did something a little weird to me when I was down there. I don't want to know. You I'm, don't I'm, tell? You've revealed enough. You've revealed enough. Don't tell. Should I tell? I won't tell. But it had to do with white power.
0: What is happening? I don't know what's happening. Boom.